Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have a lesson that I recently taught at Trinity Presbyterian Church here in Birmingham, Alabama. The church is going through the Lord's Prayer in Adult Sunday School, and here I cover the second and third petitions. As always, we do invite you to take a look at those links down there in the show notes. If you are on the islands of Hawaii, we recommend that you check out our regional course, which will be next week. There's a link to that event down there in the show notes. And Paul Buckley and I will be up in Maine next month in November to teach our course on how to sing the Psalms. A link to that event is also down there in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already, we invite you to download the Theopolis app. And in that app, you'll find video and audio materials that we believe will sharpen you and encourage you. With that, I hope you really enjoy this talk, and I want to thank you so much for listening. And here is the talk that I recently gave at TPC Birmingham on the second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer. All right, good morning. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer this semester in Sunday School. And today we're going to be looking at petitions two and three, which are thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all along the way, I think it's good and right to keep in mind uh, the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. Um, We, many of us, have prayed this prayer hundreds, if not thousands of times in our private lives and in worship gatherings. We want to be sure uh, not to overburden ourselves with too much information when we come to the Lord and pray. Um, So this is indeed a prayer that we teach to our kids and our grandkids and can easily be understood by the the most immature of believers, our younger brothers and sisters. And so we want to be sure uh, at the outset to embrace uh, the simplicity of the Lord's Prayer. But with all things in Scripture, uh, there are real and beautiful depths uh, to be enjoyed here. This is Sunday School at Trinity Prez, where we seek to contemplate some of those things and learn and glory in some of those depths that are in the text of Scripture. So what I'd like to do uh, this morning is to trace out some really fun biblical and theological things in the scripture in regards to God's kingdom, that kingdom come, and then in regards to uh, the relationship between heaven and earth, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, okay? So for the kingdom, I want to think about the patterns of the tabernacle and the temple and the waters associated with those spaces, And for heaven and earth, I want us to consider a very brief uh, theology of the firmament, which is the space between the highest heaven and earth. And uh, we have a lot to get done in the next 45 minutes, so um, we'll we'll jump in. But to begin, I'd like for us to hear uh, Matthew 6, 5 through 10, and remember the context. So this is Matthew 6, 5 through 10. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Our God, we ask that you would be with us during this time. This would be a a chance, an opportunity for us to enjoy uh, some of the depths of your scriptures. Pray that you would be with our thoughts and our hearts. Pray that you would use this as a preparation for worship this morning. Uh, Thank you for this prayer. Thank you for the depths of your scriptures. Thank you for the depths of your love for us. Pray that we would taste and see some of that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to frame this morning's lesson, I think it'll be helpful to begin by zooming out, uh, which the Bible is always calling us to, and seeing the larger picture of what Yahweh, God, is up to in the world. And with so many things, maybe even most things, the best place to start here is in the early chapters of Genesis. Okay, so we're going to do this both for the kingdom and for looking at heaven and earth, okay, the third petition. So to discuss the kingdom, I'm going to read a few verses from Genesis 1 and 2, uh, but in reverse order, okay? So this is from Genesis chapter 2, it's verses 8 through 10. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Okay? And now let us hear Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And uh, as I read this, be listening for kingdom language, which, mean, which means that uh, when we think about the kingdom, we're thinking about authority, uh, we're thinking about rule, we're thinking about who's the boss, who calls the shots, who's in charge, okay? So listen to this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, so in the beginning, God sets up his kingdom, and he does this by setting up different spaces uh, that we can see uh, here in this pretty rough diagram, okay? So God's throne is in the highest heaven, in the land of Eden, okay? And uh, the world, uh, the rest of this is going to be his footstool where he rules, okay? So he sets up his kingdom. God's throne is in the highest heavens, of course. This is not in the diagram. God's throne is in the highest heavens, and the world is his footstool. But symbolically in the scriptures, his throne is at the top of the mountain, okay, where he reigns over the rest of his kingdom, okay? So the kingdom symbolically flows from the throne to the rest of the world, Okay, all of God's reign has its, has, its source, uh, has its source in him. Okay? And this is symbolized in the way that God has set up the world and its spaces and also in the waters that flow uh, through the sanctuary space of the garden to the rest of the world. So we know that there's a river in Eden and the garden of Eden here. Okay, this is the land of Eden. And God plants a garden in the east of Eden. And we know that the waters... Uh, in the in the Garden of Eden are there, and they flow out because they're coming from higher ground. They're coming from God's throne. And the waters come through here and split out to the four corners of the earth. 
So there is a river whose streams make glad the Garden of Eden and then go out symbolically to the four corners of the earth. Okay. And God, and sorry, and man, uh, God's vice regent, as his representative, is given something. He's given authority and he's given dominion. Okay. So this is kingdom theology. So remember, we're talking about thy kingdom come. This is kingdom theology here and kingdom language here at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. But man, man was not made to stay in that garden uh, forever. He was to move out and to fill the earth with image bearers, each of whom would additionally be given dominion and authority in the earth. So God plants Adam and Eve here in the garden. There's two trees here. There's water. There's plants. But they are called not to stay here forever, but to go out to follow these four rivers to the ends of the earth and fill the entire world with image bearers who would continue their work of authority and of dominion. But something happened. As we know, Adam and Eve fell into sin. Okay, so instead of advancing God's kingdom, uh, death spread. Okay, instead of godly rule and of godly peace, of kingdom peace, there was the spread of law-breaking citizens and death and of thorns. And the path to the, back to the garden the path back to peace with God was guarded with cherubim and a flaming sword. Okay, so it passed out, and the only way back to this garden is going to be through blade and fire. It's the only way to get back to peace with God. Okay, so the way back to the river of God is through knife and fire, through blade and flame. So the kingdom has been decimated. God, of course, is still sovereign. God is still the king of all the universe. He's still king in the highest heavens, yes, but his full kingdom in the world, the world that we live in, is not yet fully realized in history because of man's sin. So God's goal this whole time has been to make earth, the earth that we live in, like heaven. He's, his whole mission is to heavenize earth. So because sin came into the world, the king, again, we're talking about the kingdom, the king sets out to make this right. But there needs to be a seed to do warfare against the dragon, as Adam should have done. So the king of kings promises to do that. So this at least introduces a pattern to us, and that pattern is the spread of kingly rule. Okay, And that kingly rule is closely associated in the scriptures with these waters of blessing here in Eden and with being near the throne but the problem is both of these things are cut off to us. Is this making sense? Okay, so the king is here, symbolically in the scriptures. The king is on the top of the mountain, okay? His servants are down here, and they are to take his kingdom, follow the, the rivers uh, and the waters, and spread his kingdom from shore to shore through the rest of the world. But there's a problem. We're cut off from this throne, and we're cut off from the garden, and the only way through is gonna kill us, okay, if we try to do that, okay? The sanctuary and the life-giving waters of God flow from his throne. These waters flow from the throne of God, where rule is to bless the world. And uh, these themes of rule, of sanctuary, of life-giving waters are going to run throughout the entire rest of the Bible. Okay, so let's look at a couple of those. One, altars. Altars and oasis sanctuaries. I'm not going to draw an altar, but altars in the book of Genesis and so on are miniature holy mountains. Okay, so picture this is a mountain. Obviously, having a sit here, God's at the top. He's ruling from the top of the mountain. 
Uh, but mi- altars are miniature holy mountains, and they're built to meet with God. All throughout the book of Genesis, you see this happen time and again. And they're often built near wells. Okay, And wells are dug up earth to get to the life-giving waters. Okay, And often at these well places, at these places of altars, are also trees. Okay, These are sanctuaries. Okay, Think about the wells uh, near like the Oaks of Mamre in the book of Genesis, for example. And a fun fact, uh, later we'll see that living water is supposed to come out of us, okay? And we are made of dirt, as we know from the book of Genesis. So uh, men also find their brides at wells, okay? So there's a lot of men in the Old Testament who meet their brides at wells. Jesus speaks with the woman at the well, okay? And then what happens when we come into the church? We're at a font, right? So as is often the case, when you start talking about one symbol in the Bible, you realize that there's another maybe dozen at play all at the same time. It's really fun. We have a very musical text uh, to study. Uh, so that's one thing, is altars and these kind of oasis sanctuaries. Okay, when they build these altars, they're building them near trees, which is a reminder of the garden, and they're building them near life-giving water, which also reminds us of the waters here. Uh, the tabernacle and the temple. Okay, the tab and the temple and the temple were... Oasis sanctuaries, you could say, and uh, we're going to look at some of these details. This is like the most fun for me, so I hope it's fun for y'all as well. Uh, The tabernacle and the temple were places where heaven and earth uh, would meet as Yahweh would fill the temple with his glory and accept the sacrifices of his people. And there's all kinds of hints here of the unity of heaven and earth, which I'm kind of, you know, spoiling the ending here. Uh, But for for instance, God, uh, you know, it's hard for us to remember a lot of these visual details because we're not there anymore. But uh, when you went to offer a sacrifice and you put your sacrifice on the altar and it was burned up, that smoke would rise to Yahweh as a sweet-smelling savor. But you have to remember that also that above the tab are the glory cloud, uh, which is God's glory cloud. And so when our sacrifice is burnt up, it's not just the payment for sin, it's the union as the smoke from our sacrifice goes up into the glory cloud of Yahweh. Um, the tabernacle was a glorified altar, we could say, okay? And it showed the king's mercy to his people and bringing them symbolically back into that garden, okay? It was a portable Mount Sinai and a portable throne room for Yahweh because this tab would be moved all around throughout the wilderness wanderings, right? Uh, So how is this the case? We could probably spend an entire semester uh, breaking down the tab symbolically, uh, but this morning we just have time for a few things. So one, Okay, this is, our, this is our tab. Okay, this is our altar, our labor of water. And this is the holy place. And the most holy place is back in here. Okay. Now, and this, this also faces, uh, this is west, this way. And this is east. Okay. So when Adam and Eve were kicked out over here, they were sent east. Okay, so the only way back to God is to enter west up through here. And God, every time the tabernacle and temple are set up, every time the tabernacle is set up and permanently in the temple, it's set up from west to east. So to go in and have your sins dealt with and to meet with God, you're literally retracing this. Does this track? Does that make sense? Okay. So the altar, the altar right here. Once you enter the tab, you have your altar. In order to have your sins taken care of, okay, man brings animals to be sacrificed on his behalf at the altar by the priests. Okay, and these different sacrifices are, of course, laid out for us in the book of Leviticus. And uh, each of them highlight a different aspect of Jesus's atonement for us. So that would happen here at the altar. This is not perfectly to scale, so no one, no one judge me this morning. Um, the laver, okay, the laver here 
is filled with what? It's filled with water, okay? The Israelites and the priests were washed at the labor of cleansing. Now notice the water here has been a bit, uh, symbolically, it's been a bit glorified, okay? It's now not below the ground. The life-giving waters are no longer below the ground, but they've come up a bit. They're in a labor, okay? This connects the labor with the waters of Eden, right over here, and with passing uh, through the firmament to God's throne room, okay, into heaven. The holy place here has a bunch of fun items in it that uh, help us build out our theology a bit. Uh, the menorah, okay, uh, symbolized the tree of life, but it also symbolized the fire on the mountain, okay? The incense, uh, which is always burning before the curtain of the most holy place, uh, provides a cloud of smoke before the Holy of Holies, which is kind of like the smoke on Mount Sinai. And then the Holy of Holies here. Um, going into the Holy of Holies was extremely dangerous as you were entering God's very presence, and it was closed off to everyone except for the great high priest once a year. Now, notice the ascent here. This is an ascent. This is an ascent through baptism, okay, through washing, and through blade and fire here, Okay. So there's water, just like in the garden. There's blade and flat fire, which is symbolically getting us back into fellowship with the king, the one who calls the shots, the one who's going to help us to rule. Okay? Um, so this is an ascent back up the mountain. The altar is the Garden of Eden entrance. Okay? The laver is the mountaintop where the rivers run. The holy place is heaven. And then the holy of holies is the highest heaven. Okay, so even though this thing was something on the ground, symbolically, it's an ascent into heaven, okay, through God's work for us. And we need to remember, it's easy for us to forget, that the tab and the temple were the very center of Israel's life, okay? At the very center of the whole nation was God's rule, okay? God's rule, what he does and what he's doing for them is literally at the middle of them. So if you remember in the book of uh, Exodus, the back half of Exodus, and in the book of Leviticus, uh, they lay out, Moses lays out how the tribes are to be associated with the tab. So the tab's here, and then, I think this is just really fun stuff, but you have the tribes, these are each individual tribes, they're in camp, right? They camp like this, and you have some larger camps. So, it's, it's fun that it, it's, it is fun that it makes a cross. It's just kind of a wink at us right thing. Uh, but literally the center of Israel's life is this tabernacle, okay? So everywhere they went, they pick up this tab, they move it, they set it back up, and then they encamp around Yahweh's throne, okay? Hopefully that makes sense. And the tabernacle, again, again, this is an ascent into Eden. This is an ascent up a mountain, okay? The tab was filled with imagery of gold, of gourds, of animals, of flowers, of lilies, of trees, and much more to symbolize what? To symbolize a garden, okay? So when you read in Exodus and Leviticus, um, all of these things about these lilies and flowers and cherubim and things like this, this is all Eden stuff, okay? It's God giving us a clear picture of this is how we get back to the throne, back to fellowship with Yahweh, okay? And the same is going to go for the temple, okay? So the temple was also permanently set up from west to east um, as Israelites needed to symbolically retrace Adam and Eve's steps in order to get back to the king. But the temple was more permanent, okay? It wasn't moving around. It was in one place, and it stayed there for quite a long time. And again, just like the tab, 
The temple uh, was glorious, and it was, again, at the center of Israel's life. Okay, their sacrifices and their cleansings were just the same, but it was a much more glorious structure. Okay, there was much more gold. There was much more decorations, all of which symbolizes uh, Eden and God's rule over his people. There are fruit trees, there are cherubim, there's flowers, there's an abundance of gold. And again, you have, just like in the tab with the labor, you have water, okay? You have water. But something cool happens with the temple. And uh, instead of one labor of cleansing, you have what's described as a huge sea. So this thing gets way bigger, I mean huge, and it's sitting on the backs of 12 oxen. Y'all remember this? And these oxen are faced... One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. They're literally sit, the, the ocean of water is sitting on the backs of 12 oxen, symbolizing these 12 tribes of Israel, okay? But there's so much water now, that things have become so much more glorified, and there's so much more work to do, that this sea starts to spill out, okay? I don't know if y'all remember this, but in the building of the temple, they're not just supposed to have this sea of water right here, they're supposed to be on the outskirts of the temple, basins, where this water symbolically flows out. They get the water from the sea, and these could be carted around, literally carted around, and be used for the various washings of the people of Israel. Okay? Uh, so the water doesn't just stay there. The water, again, symbolically begins to flow. Okay? That water that's in the sea is resting on those backs of the 12 oxen, situated just like Israel's camps. And the water doesn't just stay there, but it begins to flow, okay? There were 20 bases, uh, basins situated around that temple, around the, the holy places of the temple so that they could be moved around and clean, clean people up, okay? So why are we talking about the tab and the temple and all these things, all these details? Because we need to know who is king and who is in charge, where does he rule, and how does he rule? God, of course, rules over the whole world, the whole earth, the whole cosmos, the universe. But he gives us tons of symbols in Scripture of the spread of his rule from shore to shore, from glory to glory. Okay, God originally ruled symbolically on a mountain and called humanity to go from the garden and to spread his reign and spread his dominion. Okay, But man sinned. So God then moved to show man the way back to him. The only way back is through knife and flame, okay? The only way back is through sacrifice. The only way back is to die, which we see in the altars, in the tabernacle, and the temple. Those are the three things we've looked at so far. And with each of those things, altars, tab, and temple, God is symbolically reigning in the Holy of Holies, a place surrounded in smoke, okay? Hope that makes sense. Zion is described in the Bible as a well-watered place, just like Eden, Okay, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. But we can see the water growing. Okay, you have all these wells in the book of Genesis, and then you have a labor, and then you have this sea, and not just a sea, but now the sea is starting to spread and move around. There's starting to be an abundance there. God's kingdom will not be slowed down. The flow here, the flow of his authority, the spread of his rule and his salvation is inevitable. Okay? But there's a problem that comes about with the temple, right? The temple is destroyed. Okay? And this is where the prophet Ezekiel comes in. In Ezekiel 47, I wish we had time to read the entire chapter, but he sees a vision of water, the water in the temple, 
but something's happening, okay? The water begins to flow out of the temple. It's a beautiful chapter where the water is literally up to his ankles, up to his knees, up to his waist, and then it spreads out of the temple to renew the land, literally. It says that as this river flows out into the land, trees of life are planted on either side of this stream. Okay, God's just winking at us all over the place, telling us these cool pictures of the garden now being spread. Okay, renewal comes to the land as water flows out of the temple to renew the earth. Okay? And this is where the Lord Jesus enters the picture. This is the context where he comes. When Christ appears, John tells us that he tabernacled among us. When the king comes, he tabernacles among us. Okay? And when predicting his resurrection, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Okay, so do we see what's happening here? Jesus is the temple. Jesus is where God reigns. Jesus came as priest and as king, and he rules. He reigns over all. Something very cool and interesting happens at his baptism. As water flows from the highest heaven, God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And later he says, this is my son, listen to him. Okay, this is kingship stuff. He's the one who's calling the shots now. Okay. Israel was called God's son in the Old Covenant, but Israel, unfortunately, was a sinful people, just like we are. So we need a king who has not sinned. Okay, so while the kings and all of the authorities in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament scriptures failed over and over time and again, we desperately need a king, one who rules us, but without sin. And we need water to flow from him. Okay? So that's exactly what happened. If we, have, if we have eyes to see some of these symbols that happen in the Gospels. Okay? Is Jesus king? Well, the cross, <laughs> the crucifixion of Jesus, is described as his enthronement. He was given a robe, he was given a crown. He was raised above the earth, okay? When Jesus is crucified, then we get another reminder of the tab in the temple and of Ezekiel's vision as they come to a fulfillment. When Jesus' side is pierced, what flows? Blood and water, right? Blood and water flow from the temple. This stuff gets me, gets me going, I love it. So blood and water flow from the tab, flow from the temple out of Jesus. After his resurrection and his ascension, guess what? The waters continue to flow from heaven where he is now seated, okay? As more and more Christians are baptized every day and come under his rule and his authority, okay? So when we talk about kingdom, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the message of the gospel, okay? The message of the gospel is an inherently political message, Okay, salvation is political in the sense of that it answers who's in charge, who reigns, who calls the shots. Okay, and the good news is that an old ruler has been overthrown, and now there is a man seated in heaven on the throne of the universe who reigns with justice and with mercy. And the waters, those waters that we've been talking about this whole time, Eden, Tad, Temple, Ezekiel, Jesus aside, those waters continue to flow from his throne to the end of the earth as more and more Christians come in through baptism, okay? 
And the water doesn't even stop there. That would be great enough. But the water continues to flow, as Jesus says about you and I, that those who drink from him become springs of living water. Okay? By coming under the authority of the life-giving king, by coming into his kingdom, through the waters above, we're filled with the spirit to cleanse the world from the waters that flow from us. So, thy kingdom come. When we pray this, we can remember several things. We'll just list a few. The kingdom has come in Jesus. Okay? Jesus is king. This is the political gospel. He's in charge. Everything we do, we need to do in the name of our king and our ruler. We submit to him. Helps get a little bit of context to some verses in the New Testament, right? Everything you do, do in the name of him. Okay, Everything. It's clear who the boss is. It's clear who the king is. Next, the kingdom is coming. Okay, so the kingdom has come in Jesus. The kingdom is coming. Every time we see a baptism, we see God's kingdom come as waters, symbolically, flow from the throne room over our friends, over our family, over our children and neighbors. Former rebels of the kingdom come in through the waters that flow from the king's space. Okay? Next, remember your baptism. Remember that you're called to bring the kingdom into the world every single day. Okay, whatever you find yourself doing, do in the name of your king. You are walking around taking your baptism with you everywhere you go. Okay? The waters continue to flow from his throne into the world through your life. So we need to represent him well. Uh, you think about something like a wedding ring. Uh, I, I did this uh, thought experiment at some point in the last year. I tried to keep in mind everything that I touched throughout the day. And uh, the fact that I'm wearing a ring, we forget these little things. We forget that every time we touch something, it makes a little tap. And I, was, I just used this uh, little practice for like an hour or two to remind myself that, um, of the covenant of marriage everywhere I went. I'm taking with myself the covenant that I've made with Ashton all throughout the day. Okay? Baptism is like that. You all have passed through the waters of baptism, and you take that water symbolically of baptism with you everywhere you go. You are a baptized saint. You've been washed. And that's always walking with you. And lastly, we need to pull back from anything, anything that would prevent the kingdom from flourishing in our lives and communities. We need to train ourselves in obedience to the king through habits, okay? Things like fasting, things like prayer, worship, meditation of the scriptures, maybe memorization of the scriptures. But importantly, obedience to the king in love uh, in all that we do, okay? For the sake of our church body, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of the world. And finally, I want you all to be encouraged. You are the answer to this prayer. The prayer, thy kingdom come, you are the answer. Okay? Your kids and grandkids are the answer to this prayer. This church, TPC, is the answer to this prayer. Faithful churches in Birmingham okay, are an answer to this prayer. And on and on and on until the entire world is full of his glory. Okay? On the last day, his kingdom will come in its fullness and God will dwell with his people and he will reign forever and ever. So, uh, that very briefly, that's the big portion of the lesson. Okay, we've done thy kingdom come. Now, now we have thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Okay, this is not nearly as long because uh, we've covered some of these bases with talking about thy kingdom come. Uh, so, hopefully that, that is encouraging, uh, talking about the kingdom and thinking about the kingdom in this way. It's not, it, is, it is as simple as God's king and he calls the shots, but the Bible gives us this whole beautiful theology throughout the whole scriptures of God's kingdom and uh, what it means for us. So now, thy will be done on earth as in heaven.
Again, this will be shorter as we've laid some of this groundwork already. Um, the tab and then simple. So what's some of the biblical theology that undergirds our prayer for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven? Let's think about that. This again, as most things do, starts at the very beginning, uh, which we've already covered in Genesis 1 and 2. But as I hinted at earlier, when God created the world, he was on a mission to make earth like heaven. Okay? He created the highest heaven. I'm not going to draw this because that would take too much time. He created the highest heaven where he dwells with his angels in light. Okay? He created that space where his throne is. Okay? And then he created the earth. Okay? And on the second day of creation, he created what? He created the firmament to separate the waters above, where he is, from the waters below, where we are. Okay? He created the firmament, the space in between, to separate the waters above from the waters below. And the firmament above us, this is the space that God created to give us a glimpse into the highest heaven where he is. Okay, so uh, when you look up at the sky, you're looking into the firmament. The firmament is described, it means to be like beaten out, like you beat out like a bowl if you're making like a metal bowl or something. So literally when you look up, it looks like this dome, and it really is. Obviously, we, we know these things from further scientific exploration and whatnot. But it's described as a dome, which is what it really looks like. And it's, it looks like beaten out like a sheet. Okay? And it's blue like a sea, okay? giving us a picture of the waters above. Okay? When we talk about the highest heaven, it's often described that before the throne is what? A sea of glass okay? before the throne of God. Okay? The birds above us are pictures of angels. Okay? The lightning and thunder are pictured are picture to us in the glory cloud. Okay? The sun, moon, and stars, which we see above us every day, are symbols uh, to us of the glories of heaven. Okay? This is why the firmament is called heaven. So there are two heavens. There's the highest heaven where God is, and there's the firmament, which is called heaven. And in that firmament is all these things that we look into and see and remind us and call to us pictures of the highest heaven where God is. Okay, the sun, for instance, is a, a picture of God, specifically the Son of God to us. And he's surrounded symbolically with moon and with stars. Okay? And stars symbolize you and I. Okay? So symbolically, again, I've used that word maybe a hundred times already. Symbolically, the sun is surrounded by myriads and myriads of stars, which represent us. Okay, when Abraham is told, given the covenant, what's he to do? God says, go outside and look. The stars are like you. Your people are like that. Okay? And again, God waters the earth with rain from heaven. The firmament, though, is the barrier between God's throne room and us. Okay, I've already described highest heaven, firmament, which is above us, and earth, but we need to understand that that's a barrier, okay, between God's throne room in heaven and the earth beneath, which is his what? His footstool, okay? But we do need to remember that's a barrier. It's a thick barrier. But something we need to notice about the second day of creation, I love this stuff. Uh, when you have the, the seven days of creation, six days of creation, the seventh day of rest in Genesis 1 and 2, uh, when, you, when it comes to the second day where God makes that firmament, that space between heaven and earth, okay? There's no pronouncement of it being good, just like the other days, okay? I think this is because, not that it's bad, but I don't think this is the way that creation is meant to be in its final form, okay? It's not the way that creation was always going to be in its fullness. The barrier between the realm of God, that barrier between the realm of God and the realm of man, okay, was not to be permanent. It was to be done away with. The firmament is meant to be shattered, 
The firmament is also pictured to us often in the Bible as an ice dome, okay? Okay, that's all over the book of Revelation. It's really cool stuff. And uh, it's shattered <laughs> when God comes in wrath in the form of lightning and in the form of hail, okay? So there's a sense, symbolically, there's that word again, that hail is uh, God breaking the ice dome in heaven and coming in judgment on the earth. It's a symbol of that. The firmament, uh, sorry, the book of Revelation is all about God's throne coming down to earth, okay? Coming down and breaking into this world. God's going to dwell on earth with his people. This is the final end of creation, and it's always been God's goal, okay? So when God makes creation, when he makes everything, the whole world, he makes it as his temple. But, again, there are boundaries uh, between the waters above and the waters below, okay? Land and sea. Uh, And that's what's going on in the tabernacle and the temple with these different boundaries, right? These different curtains. Certain people can go certain places. Only one guy can go in here. But each of them has a boundary put up there. Okay, again, the firmament isn't some solid sheet above us, but it has depth where the sun, moon, stars, and birds and other things dwell. This corresponds to the holy place in the tabernacle and the temple, okay? So the lampstand, lampstand's over here. Lampstand is your sun, moon and stars, the lights of heaven. There's also a table of showbread in the holy place, okay? And what comes down from heaven to feed the people of Israel in the wilderness? Bread, bread from heaven, heavenly bread. So the priests, when they come in here and do all this work in the, in the tabernacle, they're working in the firmament. Remember, this is God's highest heaven up here in the Holy of Holies. This is the firmament, and the priests are going in here and doing their work. And also, fun fact, they're dressed like angels. And literally, their, their uh, outfits are described as having wings on the side. Okay? Very cool stuff. But they could not go through this final barrier, this barrier to the Holy of Holies. Okay, so the firmament's a barrier above us to the highest heaven. Is this tracking? And in the tabernacle and temple, there's this curtain, this barrier to the Holy of Holies. Corresponds to the firmament. Okay? So this brings us to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus dies, he hangs above the earth in the firmament, okay? Indeed, we can actually think about Jesus being the fulfillment of the firmament, okay? He, he is the firmament that gets broken so that there can be access to the throne. When Jesus dies, he takes his blood into the Holy of Holies, okay? And cleanses his people for once and for all, okay? And what happens to the temple curtain when Jesus dies? Okay, It's ripped in two from top to bottom, Okay? Not from bottom to top, as if we sinful man ripped it, but from top to bottom, letting us know that God the one is the one who did the ripping and opened up the highest heaven to us. So Jesus has opened up the throne of God to us. And when we pray, when we, every time we pray, we ascend to the very throne of God. We're doing this movement here. Whenever we pray, Jesus says when we pray, we go to the throne. It's unbelievable. We ascend to the very throne of God to make our petitions to the king. When we worship here every Lord's Day, we ascend together to God's throne room to hear from his word, to eat of that heavenly bread, to drink his festive wine. Jesus has made this possible through his work in the firmament. hope that makes sense. So there's a highest heaven where God is, a firmament and earth. There's a barrier. God's eliminated that barrier. Okay? And at the end of Revelation, we're going to see the city of God descend and God is going to dwell with man forever. That's why there's no pronouncement of good on this second day of creation, because that's not the final state of things. This is the goal all along. God the Father is on a mission to bring heaven to earth, and he has fulfilled and made sure that mission is going to be done in the work of his son, the King Jesus. 
So now we pray for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven, and we know that that's a sure thing. Okay? How do we know it's for sure? Because at the end of all things, like we just mentioned, at the end of the book of Revelation, we see the city of God descend to earth. The firmament will be no more. The distance between us and God will be no more. And forever and ever we will reign with his people, not at a distance from our Father, but in his very presence. Okay? So a few applications and we'll wrap up. One, we need to ask God. We need to pray the prayer. We need to ask God that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to be praying this prayer and know that he will answer. It is certain. Okay? It's a done deal. Next, how do we know what his will is? Well, the good news is that the king, the one in the highest heaven, has given us his very word, his heavenly word, and his heavenly songs to sing. We need to be in our Bibles. We need to be hearing the Bible, and we need to be singing the Bible, uh, singing the words of the one written in heaven. Next, we need to open our eyes and see how God is already doing this all around, and we need to enjoy it. Okay, this is glorious stuff. We live in a world that's torn apart by sin and death and anxieties, so do we see in the Lord's service every week, we come with so many things on our backs when we come to worship, but we need to see in this service every week that God is bringing his kingdom to earth, that this distance is getting smaller and smaller. Do you see people every week singing praises to the Lord Jesus, confessing their sins, eating at his table? All of these things that we do every single Sunday morning are a taste of the final end. And again, at baptisms, we see the firmament open up and God's gentle water from heaven, okay? Not his anger or his wrath, not judgment, but we see heaven open up and God blesses and names in the cleansing waters that give new life. And lastly, in the weekly liturgy, as our pastors ascend up this aisle, okay, we as the bride symbolically ascend with him. And as we lift our hands every week and sing the doxology, We're worshiping on earth as it is in heaven. And listen to that. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host, on earth as it is in heaven. We could do this all day. We could be here all day listening example after example of God's will being done on earth as in heaven and of his kingdom coming. But be on the lookout. Look for examples of these things and rest in knowing that his kingdom is always coming and will come and his will will be done forever and ever. Let us walk before the king with obedience and humility and continue to pray this prayer and walk in light of it all the days of our life. Amen. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.